hello, everyone. Welcome to Spirituality Matters. I'm Reverend Carla, and now I invite you to settle in. And let's find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are. And let us be reminded that the holy transcends our physical bodies. And our time together here in this space is just as meaningful and sacred as if we were just sitting beside one another. Okay, so let's get started. The theme for this week is called The Types of Christians You'll Meet Along the Way and Why It Matters. So I'm going to start this conversation with um, the importance of why this matters. And then we're going to set some expectations about what we'll discuss here today. And then how you hopefully will be able to use this information on your own spiritual journey. But first, I want to talk a little bit about, for me, why this is important, especially as the platforms grow on social media and we gain more followers, oftentimes people will come in and have questions about Christianity, and they want to know a little bit about what I believe. Now, we're not going to go into that a lot today, but what is important is to understand that not one person or one denomination or one church represents the entirety of the Christian religion not one church, even though sometimes you often get that feeling when you hear people, people's comments that where they speak in absolutes about things, about what's right or wrong, what's sinful, what isn't, what's blasphemous and what isn't. They are not the keeper of the Christian religion. So that's why the the research for this week was really quite interesting. I spent many hours getting ready for this podcast. And I have to be honest here. A lot of what I found affirms my decision to become unchurched, to leave the church and walk the spiritual but not religious path. Because it's hard to find data on the number of denominations worldwide, but somewhere between 25,000 and 41,000 Christian denominations worldwide. And by denominations, we mean that sometime, somewhere, someone didn't agree on someone else's translation of scripture and schismed. And schism just means that they separated a permanent division, a permanent separation. So they broke away to start another denomination. So then another belief system that was a derivative of the Christian religion from which they schismed was born. So that just means that someone else took scripture or took their beliefs that resonated with them and rejected the beliefs that no longer resonated with them from the original denomination. So do you start to see this pattern here? So every one of the churches that even now, even today, have schismed from something else. So if you go back to even the, the birth of Protestantism in the 16th century, that's exactly what happened. They, they schismed from the Catholic Church. So that's why it's important to understand that no matter what we talk about, like the types of Christians that we're talking about, there's never one pure denomination, no matter what they say, no matter how vitriolic or judgmental they can get in the comments. This is about giving you tools to understand 
why this is important to you on your journey. So it's just to help you have a cache of information to help you on hopefully heal from religious trauma and help you on your spiritual but not religious journey. So here in America alone, there are thousands of churches and hundreds of denominations. So inside a denomination, there could be thousands of churches nationwide. And eventually, we might do an entire podcast on just that information because it's rich with data and some of the belief systems that are that are inside Christianity. I think you might find that interesting. But and, and I will go ahead and put this is another week just filled with show notes. I think right now it's at almost two pages long. So if you want to take a deep dive into the research to help you understand some of that on your own, you are welcome to do so because there were so many articles for, that I read for this week. And what, what surprised me was how many articles that originated from Christian-based organizations. And I read them because I wanted to understand how Christians viewed themselves. How were they categorizing themselves for this? for this uh, time to this week. So a lot of them did acknowledge the spiraling downward of church attendance, that people are no longer affiliating or identifying with Christianity, and an awareness that a lot of these people are rejecting some of the basic precepts of church life. What I mean by that is if there is a an assumption that your spiritual growth, your soul work, is connected to how committed you are to church life that is being rejected by the younger generations and some in in my generation as well but so that's the kind of thing that they were addressing in some of these articles so it was the church expectations and the church obligations but it was also frustrating to read that many of these writers their conclusion was that the reason that people are leaving church is about the ministers not arming the church members with apologetics. Now, what is apologetics? We could do an entire podcast on that as well. But basically, apologetics is the, uh, the, the defense of your faith. So when you're going to defend something, that means that you are going to know it so well and your arguments and your resources that you can recite everything by memory. Now, I can tell you after five years of studying biblical studies, world religions, and seminary, a lot of that stuff I don't hold as memory. There's things that, yeah, I can remember that uh, verse and I'm going to have to go research it because I just don't work that way. I, I live more in the in, to, to inspire people to help them heal, to help them on their religious path. But apologetics says everything you need to know about your faith and be able to share it with others, you should be able to recite verse, scripture, stories, all of that. It's more focused on the on the the scripture than it is on the experience. So these writers are saying that church leaders are not doing a good enough job uh, arming, if you will, their church members with apologetics so that they can be out there and be the ambassadors of the Christian religion. Well, I, with all due respect, I think that is a ridiculous con conclusion. And let me tell you why. Just because you have knowledge doesn't mean that you have the skills to share it. What do I mean by that? If you look at some of the people that follow me or some of the people that I follow or even in my comments, the vitriol, the condemnation, the scathing comments, the ridicule, 
that's representative of a Christian faith is beyond belief that people are using their words in a way to condemn me and others, and somehow we're supposed to be impressed by that. In other words, that you are trying to convict us so much with your faith that it becomes so poisonous and vitriolic that you are convinced that that's going to turn us back to your faith when it quite, it's having the quite opposite effect. It affirms why we left because we see the hypocrisy, we see the judgment inside those comments. So in other words, you if you are arming people, if you're trying to inform them and encourage them in some way to be ambassadors, there's also helping them understand how to build relationships. Relationships are more important than apologetics. I'm going to say that again. Relationships are more important than apologetics. So you have people out here using some of that information in a very damaging way that does more damage to Christianity than anything else I've ever seen before. So I see a lot of people who are ill-equipped with how to handle their emotions. They're not spiritually mature. They're not spiritually prepared, emotionally prepared to handle dialogue out here. So what do they go for? Fear, attack, vitriol, condemnation. They reach for the low-hanging fruit instead of really diving in to some of the things that people are sharing. And I can tell you from my own personal experience that for the most part, what we're doing is sharing our stories. We're sharing our experiences. And you come in and say these things, you're just affirming exactly what we experienced inside the church. So I'm going to say this, and I really I really hope that there are pastors out there or people who can talk to their pastors. But I believe that pastors and church leaders need to get their congregants under control they're not doing you any any service at all. They're not helping your cause at all. All they're doing is affirming for us that you're still out there holding this vitriolic and calling it faith. So I would encourage there to be a look at how this is, how the world is viewing this. Because if, if I am someone who's on a spiritual but not religious path or standing in this spiritual wilderness and I'm trying to understand what it means for me, I'm going to look at that and say, that's not something I want. I'm going to continue to take my chances in the spiritual wilderness because this is not something that I want to go back and explore this kind of, if this is the person I'm going to meet inside church, they can they can forget it. So, and like I've said, the data supports that this type of thinking is not working. The data also supports, and I think this is also a very important point, the data supports that the mega churches are not drawing from a large cache of people who are turning to Christianity. It's just a shift. It's people who are migrating from other Christian denominations looking for a spiritual experience. experience. And so they think they can find it inside the mega church or this modern church experience. And so what does that modern church experience look like? There's often a rock band. You'll have the church leaders, the pastors in jeans. You'll have a very informal, laid-back atmosphere. The sanctuary is really turned more into an entertainment center than it looks like your uh, traditional sanctuary with the beautiful stained glass windows. A lot of times it's completely blacked out. You can't even see outside. There might even be, if the church can afford it, there might be a smoke machine uh, or two up front as well. So that will work for a while, but eventually, and I've seen this happen in my own experience, but I also see it as people are starting to tell their stories about religious trauma, that there is a falling away. Because what happens is the expectation of the modern church 
has nothing to do with modern theology. So the very thing that they think they're escaping from in their former denomination is still right there. It's just, it's, it's hiding until, and it comes up in something where you realize there's a rejection of the LGBTQIA community. You ask, you know, a pastor to baptize your gay daughter, whatever happens, something happens that clashes with your beliefs and you understand that that theology is still in conflict with, with your spiritual growth. So then you begin to look for other options for your that will that will be the container that will hold your spirituality. Now, why does this matter? Like I said, for my followers who left the church who are still seeking a spiritual path and desire to enrich their spirituality, they want to be healed by religious or church trauma and they want to be seen for who they are without fearing being judged or dehumanized by religious zealots. So, first of all, let me assure you that the, today is not about Christianity 101 where I'm going to give you the rundown on theology of 100 denominations even though I do think that a summary of that might be interesting, and we'll look at that for a, a, a podcast coming up uh, sometime in the future. But to do it in its entirety of the 41,000 denominations worldwide, that's unrealistic to think you can do that. And it's also irrelevant because at some point you are more than likely, you're going to be in a conversation with someone who is or more accurately, you probably will be verbally accosted by someone who will attempt to judge you, who will attempt attempt to condemn you, who will attempt to de dehumanize you. Now notice that I said attempt because beloveds, I truly believe, I truly pray that you become strong enough to stand in your truth, that you no longer are bothered by or triggered by these comments, that you can see past their hateful words to the fear-based theology that is at the root of their prejudices, their toxic beliefs, and their judgment of you. You. No religious belief has the right to hold you captive. Can I say that again? No religious belief has the right to hold you captive. No religious human should have any power over you, no matter how many times they comment, no matter what it is they say. So if we have a broad understanding of some of the source of their fear-based theology, it can help you because it can empower you to stand in your truth. So that's why this conversation matters. And so now, and, and that's what some of these expectations are about for today. Now, guess what? After all of this research I did and all the hours of all these articles that I read, I came to one conclusion. I get to decide the categories for the types of Christian that we are going to discuss today. And why is that? because no one can agree on these categories as well. No one inside Christianity can agree. So it's really about what is it that you want to study? So one article said that there are three types of Christians, and they went on to describe a diagnostic, medicinal, and empowerment Christian. And that there is a link to that article in the show notes. And it, it was interesting, but it's not irrelevant. It's not relevant to where you are on your journey. At least I don't think so for the long, for the bigger picture. Like I said, go read it for yourself and you might pull some inspiration out of it. Still another described Christians in such a derogatory way that I had to check to make sure that I was reading a Christian-based article. And I was so surprised to see that I was. But the whole premise of that article was to convict Christians that there was only one category of Christians that this writer thought we all belong to. If you weren't in it, you were out. And again, interesting, not surprising. Sometimes when you hear how 
uh, strict some of the Christian beliefs can be, but it's also not relevant because we're seeing this already in some of the comments and some of the pushback that people are, are giving to people who are unchurched or spiritual but not religious as they start to uh, share their stories. So no, no doubt someone will disagree with me on my categories, but there are these are the categories that we're going to talk about, and I think that they'll be the most helpful. So we're also going to focus on Protestantism. So even though we have Catholic and the Orthodox, Protestantism is what I know and where I what I see in, in our followers that where we are helping them the most, where you have experienced some kind of religious trauma. So we're going to focus on that today. So this is also about understanding. So Protestantism was born in the 16th century when Martin Luther was said to have gone up to the, the church doors and uh, nailed his 95 thesis. No matter what happened there, there's an argument whether or not that really happened. This human was brave enough to say, I'm going to stand up against the Catholic Church. I no longer believe in these things. These things are do not resonate with my soul, and they go counter to the, my Christian beliefs. That was the birth of Protestantism. So it was a very brave human to be able to do that. And so we, we know that about the Protestant faith. The other thing that I always feel like I have to say, we have to recognize the good that's been done, done in church. So many people now are accusing us of being anti-Christian or anti-church, and that simply isn't the case. But you want to see that when we share our stories. When we take something that says, this hurt me or this hurt others, you want to deflect and say, well, then you've become anti-Christian. That's not true. I still hold on to my Christian faith. You try to take it away from me, you can't. You're not the rule keeper. But there are parts that if those those of us who are finding each other to support one another need to understand that these are things that that hurt us and that we no longer believe that doesn't mean that we can't still embrace our christian faith with a new set of eyes and a healed heart so we aren't even talking to you just like you have your your platforms and your churches i'm not going in to attack them. I'm not going in to judge them. I don't leave any comments there. I'm talking to our followers, but that somehow offends you. So you come into our space and start talking when this is about us finding this safe space to heal one another. So that's just an observation here, how you are portraying our, our journey through our healing. But to be honest, and with all due respect, that's irrelevant. You can continue to comment, but we're going to continue on this platform because it's continuing to grow and we are talking to the people who, who need us. So I'm very pleased for that. And I'm so pleased to see how many people are joining in their voices. Oh, so many young people who have not only left the church, but are telling their story, which I think is such a powerful powerful tool. That's how we claim our, reclaim our lives, reclaim our power. We take it back from our experiences when we can share it with others because I tell the people time and again, you are literally saving someone's life. Someone out there is drowning in religious trauma, most likely because of other trauma in their life. But regardless, someone needs to hear that someone else has gone through what they have. So this is a healing ministry. It is divine. It is holy. And I'm so thankful for all the other voices that are rising to be a part of this as well. All right. So we're going to start with uh, talking about the evangelical Christian. And this is going to be a 65,000 foot flow, uh, flyover. We are already 21 minutes into this podcast for today. But we will also be adding this information 
information in um, our resource page on at revcarla.com so you'll be able to go there and and see this as this goes as this continues to expand and we expand our resource page so keep looking there if it's not there be patient we're working on that resource page but it's about to really explode and i think you're really going to enjoy all the resources that we're getting ready to add but the evangelical is someone who believes that the bible is the highest highest authority in all the life. Whatever you have going on in your life, you can point to the Bible. This is the person who will literally open up the Bible to a page and whatever verse jumps out at them, that's what that's how they apply for their day. That's There's nothing wrong with that. People can look at that as uh, the way some people use the tarot cards or some people do readings with uh, stones and things like that. It's the same kind of wisdom where you can pick out those verses and use them for inspiration. But for the evangelical, it can often be literal because in the Bible, they see something that is completely infallible. Everything that was written in the Bible is not only God-breathed, it is inerrant. It is without mistake. So you will often see them being very enthusiastic with their faith. And they, just as their name implies as an evangelical, they are proselytizing their faith, which means that they have a responsibility to share their faith with others and bring others to Christ. They truly believe that unless you turn your life over to Christ, you are, your soul is at peril that you will not fight, you will not make it to heaven. So that's their responsibility. Another thing that you'll often see inside the evangelical church is a very emotional experience. And it can be a beautiful experience. As someone who had was raised through the evangelical church, I can tell you that some of those summers, the tent revivals, they were absolutely fabulous. I still remember some of the preachers and some of their words. I would go home and, and just think about them before I went to bed because it was such an emotional experience. And even up through my adulthood, uh, I, I had continued to have those kinds of experiences. You'll often see them being some of the most kind people inside the church, but there's also, that can also lead to a very passive uh, approach. So this is where you'll see a lot of times the love all kind of ministry or everyone welcome kind of ministry, which I label as passive, uh, passive conversion therapy, because even though uh, gay humans, the LGBTQIA plus humans will be welcomed, they will not be accepted into membership. They'll never uh, ordain, they'll never baptize, they'll never marry same-sex couples, they'll never be invited to sing in the church. All those things that make you a part of the body of the church, what they consider the body of Christ, will be excluded from any gay humans, even though you're welcome to come in the church. I'm not a big fan of this. I consider that passive conversion therapy. But a lot of times, if the if all you're wanting is just a pew experience and you're not looking for fellowship, that sometimes can serve the gay community as well, which is fine. If that's serving your soul and you feel like that's a good experience, who am I to judge it? But overall, I've seen way too many gay humans who've been hurt by this experience when they realize that they're considered an outlier from the rest of the church. So that's one thing, but their their judgment is more cloaked. They are very much about loving all, but it's also considered a deflection. They're not very, you won't see them get into very much social activism. A lot of times they can see that uh, if for black lives to matter, all lives 
have to matter because God loves everyone. So they'll deflect away from those social justice issues and talk more about just loving everybody. So that's a that to me is something I feel like your spirituality is entrenched in your sacred activism. They go hand in hand. And so until we have social justice and equity for everyone, someone on who's doing intense soul work and walking a spiritual path has the responsibility to be working in some kind of sacred activism. That's my belief. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about the fundamentalist. The fundamentalist has been called, and this is something in the article, so I'm just going to repeat it right now, uh, the most judgmental. So that's probably the one who's the most vocal. So when you see those comments, more than likely, you're seeing someone who is a fundamentalist. Someone who's, who's entrenched in evangelicalism will be more like, I don't mean to offend you, but I just want to ask, do you believe in Jesus? That kind of thing. Someone who's trying to be passive about their, their faith, but they still want to ask you something in a respective way. The fundamentalist is probably coming at you just a little bit harder. So we're probably seeing a lot of people out there in the in the community, in our platform, in our comments and things that are from the fundamentalist section, even though sometimes there's a lot of blending. So they, uh, they be absolutely believe in biblical separation. So what that means is they separate themselves from anyone who does not believe like, look like, love like, was not born where they think they should be born. They separate themselves. You will never see a welcome everyone, love everyone out there. They, they are considered to be chronically negative and a critical attitude that that is their job to condemn others. It, they wake up to figure out what everybody else is doing wrong. And I bet right now someone is coming to mind for you that you know that fits that mold of the fundamentalist. So uh, a lot of times, and this is no joke, but the fundamentalist is known as the bad tipper. And I've got a, I've got a couple articles in the show notes because it, you know an evangelical can be as well, but Christians are known for not being good tippers. But the fundamentalists, especially because the the way they are viewed as being so judgmental. And I know that as someone who used to be a Joyce Meyer groupie, if she were in a within a tri-state area, I was at her conferences. I'm not kidding. All four days I went to them. I'd stand in line early to get the, the premier seats absolutely loved her and more I, I believe ever at the close of every conference someone would come out on stage and say please when you go out to eat tonight would you please tip well we are having trouble them still speaking they would say we ha are having trouble finding venues who want to host christian programs and conferences because the people who are coming to them are so hateful they're having to tell Christians to be nice to waitresses because that's the kind of person who's considered the most judgmental, the most condescending inside. And usually they have that fundamentalist. So the fundamentalist is not only just uh, can be more vocally judgmental, they also believe in uh, the inerrancy of the Bible. So a lot of the things that the evangelical believes, the conservative does too. They also more than likely will just adhere to the King James version of the Bible, which is interesting for a lot of reasons that we can't go in today. They also see them in themselves in battle 
with the rest of, of the religion, uh, the rest of the world. So arming themselves, the symbolic arming themselves, the onward Christian soldiers, soldiers mantra, they see themselves as being the warriors for Christian, so Christian entity. So when you look at the insurrection on January 6th and all the people who were praying on the Senate floor, all the people who had the Jesus for Trump uh, flags and all of that, you were probably looking at at fundamentalists who who took their faith so literally that they felt like they were defended it in that way. So the conservative is someone who is uh, probably a little bit more less vocal than the uh, than the fundamentalist and the evangelical, and they're probably but they are probably more deliberate and more manipulative and more conniving with how they spend their time. So when you think of a conservative as being uh, their political ideology towards a political conservative, you are probably correct because this is probably the one who's less as who's harder to define. And like I said, and I'm going to start saying EC ECF. So you've got the evangelical, the conservative and the fundamentalists. So the ECF, it's really hard to define any of them and any one person could actually be under all three. But the importance of this is that you understand that the conservative is someone who is understands the power of government alliance. So you have Christians that are inside politics. You have people who are lobbying. You have people who are political action committees who are looking to influence, and they've under they they do follow the data. Where other church, where other denominations and an evangelical or a fundamentalist, they don't care about the, the the fact that if people are leaving church by droves, they still think it's our fault. They don't think they need to change anything. Inside conservatives, they understand this data. They know it's real. They don't, they're, they're not denying it at all. So what they've decided to do is adhere to politics to control things. So they'll be very focused on things regarding uh, marriage of same-sex couples. They are very much in the anti-abortion movement. We're, we're going to talk about all that some other time. But they are, they know how to use their power. They're politically aligned. If you want to learn a little bit more about a conservative type Christian who is covert, make sure you watch the series on Netflix called The Family. That's a good a place to start. Um, I'll, I think I can put a link to that in the show notes. And then there's also some places where you can read about the relationship between Jerry Falwell and Ronald Reagan. Because about that time and a little before is when the conservative Christian saw the data, understood that white Christians were becoming the minority and decided the best way to stay in power was through political alliances and started to control the Republican Party. So I think that's very important. Now, I do want to speak a minute about, because I'm going to come back to the conservatives in just a minute, but I do want to speak a little bit about the non-denominational a person because I've heard this sometimes even about me. So I am an ordained interfaith, interspiritual minister who's, who's walking, who I'm unchurched and I'm walking the spiritual but not religious path. I embrace my Christian heritage. So in other words, I have re- connected with my Christian faith with a new set of eyes. So I can't fit all that on a business card. I don't really know what to call me, but I love all of that. All of that speaks to me. And I guess for an expansive spirituality, that's okay. Or to be nondescript is also okay. But the interfaith part is about world accepting that there's truth and wisdom in all of world religions. The interspiritual part says, 
you can find a spiritual experience, a, a divine path, a holy path up the sacred mountain to the divine without religion. Religion is not a requirement to find your sacred path. So that's what an inner faith inner spiritual minister means that is my that is my ordination it's not a denomination but i'll hear people say oh yeah you're like my non-denominational church that is not the same thing that is absolutely not the same thing because i know several christian churches who consider themselves non-denominational but it is a way to hide dated theology. And when I say dated, it means that for people, I'm, again, I'm not talking to the people who are finding their spiritual path inside a non-denominational church. If that's serving you well, stay there. Blessings on your journey. I'm not trying to convince you to leave it. I'm talking to the person who's been hurt or spiraled out of religion and now can look back and see that that non-denominational experience actually hurt them because of the theology that they found in there was exactly what they were trying to leave in the first place. But they hide it under this non-denominational because you don't want to be called a Methodist because of you, you don't agree with some of the Methodist theology. You don't want to be called Lutheran because you don't agree with Lutheranism. You don't want to be called even Christian because there's hundreds of, you know, are you a disciples of Christ? Are you just a basic Christian church? Are you a United, United Church of Christ? Are you a, are you a Southern Baptist? Are, are you a, a, a evangelical Baptist? Are you something, a, a different kind of, there's like hundreds of different of Baptist denominations. And trust me, there's some very progressive type Baptist church, which is going to be the last thing that we talk about. So non-denominational, if you're looking for a church experience and that's important to you, make sure you ask questions. Don't just assume that non-denominational means that you are going into a theology or a progressive theology that holds space for everyone at the table, not just welcoming them, but they consider certain people outliers to the person who's holding true to their theology. So the last one I want to say is uh, the progressive Christian. And sometimes I'm labeled a progressive Christian. I don't consider myself a progressive Christian only because I don't, I'm unchurched. So I don't really adhere to that label, even though I consider them my people. I know so many good progressive Christians who are doing great work at, in the social media realm and also in their ministries, in their church. I feel like that that is where, the, I that's the hope of Christianity. That's where I see it the most. But I also sometimes can collide with them. Some people don't like my approach in uh, my social media and they'll try to bring me under some kind of control through that progressive alliance. And I absolutely reject that because I'm talking to people who need us and I don't need to be accountable to anybody inside the prog progressive clergy. So I, but I very much respect what they, what they believe. And probably the, the closest thing that I could find that because pro progressive Christians are very loosely defined, just like evangelicals and fundamentalists and conservatives, you're going to find at different types of progressive churches where they don't necessarily align. So again, you have to ask a lot of questions. But there is a website called progressivechristianity.org and there will be a link in the show notes. And I did find some things about what it means to be progressive Christian, at least according to them. Like I said, this isn't something that every progressive church says, yes, we agree with this. And this is now we're in the progressive church membership. That is not at all what it's about. But what they say 
is that they believe that the fo- that following the path and teachings of Jesus can lead to an, an awareness and experience of the sacred and the oneness and unity of all life. They affirm that the teachings of Jesus provide but one of many ways to experience the sacredness and oneness in life. So in other words, interfaith. They believe in that, and I very much admire that. Here's what I really love. They seek community that is inclusive of all people, including but not limited to conventional Christians and questioning skeptics, believers and agnostics, women and men, those of, of all sexual orientation and gender identities, those of all classes and ability. And it goes on. There's about eight precepts that they give for their for their faith. But I think that that's a real, uh, very important that any denomination, any church experience or non-denomination experience that you're looking at, considering for, to hold your faith, you should find out exactly what do they believe. It, if it's not front and center, then ask them. But here's what this is all about, beloveds. Do not judge any of the entirety of Christianity as you are being judged by just a few. It is not the entirety of Christianity. Not all evangelicals are anti-LGBTQIA. Not all evangelicals are anti-gay. Not all fundamentalists are bad tippers. And not all conservatives are politically aligned with someone like Trump. And I even know evangelicals now that are that are speaking out against Trump. That's a huge, that's huge that they have rejected so far what you have been seeing publicly. But they are out there and they're talking about it. And Beth Moore on Twitter is certainly being one of them. And another human, Kyle Howard on Twitter. If you follow those two, you'll see that they're starting to talk quite a bit. Not all fundamentalists or evangelicals, uh, and I'm not sure about conservatives, are flat earthers. Yes, flat earth theory is a big, is a big deal inside of certain parts of Christianity. I'm going to put a video in the show notes that was set to Adele's song, Hello from the Other Side. The production's amazing. The What is said inside it is absolutely ridiculous, and people believe this. And the reason why I found out about this video, because someone that I followed on Instagram shared it, and I knew she was a Christian, and I just loved her content. She had a good, she has a good heart, but when she shared that, I was done. I'm, I'm not going to support somebody because she's no she's sponsored and I'm not going to give her my my following because I can't support that. That's absolutely dangerous and ridiculous. So many of those, like I said, many of those evangelicals are speaking out now and they should have done it a long time ago. I knew we were going to have a tr- trouble in this country when Trump announced the ban on Muslims even before he was elected president, because I knew it was going to speak to the those entrenched in xenophobia. And you find that a lot in church. I was with them for so long. I knew that was going to be a big tipping point for his campaign, and it was. But I want to say this too. I found an incredible article that was written in 2012 uh, by the, by a person by the name of Roger Olson, and he was writing for an article in, in Pathos, P-A-T-H-O-S. If you don't follow Pathos, you should. And there will be a link to the sh- in the show notes with this article. But what he was saying was that, the, and I'm quoting him now, the gospel becomes a new law, system of orthodoxy that requires adherence without mental reservation for salvation or at least for discipleship. In their hands, they being the evangelical, for example, being evangelical requires not only right beliefs, but right way of believing that is foundationalism. So in other words, he was saying that there was a trend towards not just an evangelical approach, but that if you did not believe a certain way, that you were going to be cast out as an outlier. He goes on to say, I identify the new fundamentalists 
by their ethos and ethos simply means the characteristics spiritual of a culture so in other words something in said in time that that ties people together in their culture their beliefs uh their community whatever that is at that time because it it should i would hope it it evolves but he was saying that these are the they're similar but they are evolving into something that is considered radical so now we're again we are talking about 2012 with this was it this is the first time i had seen inside christianity that somebody was saying it i thought this was something new so here he was saying that what he what he was seeing in the new fundamentalism new fundamentalism at work he said he was invited to speak at a conference that was put on by fundamentalists and they were welcoming there but at lunch no one would sit with him now they invited him to speak at this this conference and no one would sit with him because again, we're talking about this biblical separation. So you can't sit at the fellowship with heretics. So again, we're moving into this radicalized belief. Here's how he, here's how he concludes the article. And I quote again, something truly awful is, stir is stirring within evangelicalism. It's directly analogous to what has happened in the Republican Party. Are you hearing this? I call on moderate evangelical leaders to stand up and speak out against it. So far, most have not. None dare call it fundamentalism. Did you hear that? In 2012, this writer was warning against the radicalization of Christianity and its connection to the Republican Party. Now look at what we're seeing today. Just yesterday, after as I was recording this, uh, the day after the golden Trump statue was rolled into the CPAC conference that's being held in Orlando. We, friends, this is not over. Stay awake. This is why we have to have these kinds of conversations, understanding the beliefs inside some of this, these uh, factions and these denominations of Christianity. Because the reason why I tell you these things is because you don't need to engage in, ar in arguments with them in social media. I ask you not to. Sometimes I will, if, especially on my platform, but it's also to set up a teaching moment for you. But the reason why you need to know this is because any arguments that you are having inside your social media platforms or in, in engaging in these things, first of all, it does spiral you down into a lower energy and it's distracting. And the reason it's distracting is because you don't need to be changing their mind. You're not going to. This is, there's certain elements of it that are cult-like behavior because they're moving away from not just the Christian faith and the follower of Jesus, they're moving to follow a person. And that person is Trump. When you see how strong the Republican Party and elements of Christianity are tied together. So our job is to make sure we're healing from our religious trauma, speaking our truth, bringing people in to talk about this so that we are empowering and educating and understanding that we need to keep moving forward. So Let's start to bring this time together because I've gone way over to a close. So today, this was about understanding some of the, what I call the underbelly revealed inside Christianity. And if that means that some of you are still in church, bless you. 
Today wasn't an attempt to minimize or persecute you, but perhaps you even learned something about your own denomination that you didn't know or how other people perceive it. Perhaps this compels you to find out more about your own church theology and perhaps take personal responsibility for the love you show the rest of the world. But now for the rest of you navigating spirituality outside of church, I hope this help empowered you. Because those, there are people who are actively seeking to minimize our rights as human beings. And those who feel through divine providence that they are the chosen ones over all of us, beloveds, they are not. They are not. But friends, nothing will ever be accomplished by stooping to their level. You are not Satan. You are not the daughter of the devil. I've seen it all. That is not. When someone makes those comments to you, they are not showing the love of Jesus. Blessed be and amen. Okay, beloveds, this was a big one, and I'm honored to be in this space with you. I pray that you receive something because I know that I did because the teacher teaches what she needs to hear. And now, beloveds, go in peace and be at peace. Go in love and may you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you and you are not alone. You're seen and deeply and unconditionally loved. Blessings on your week and I will see you soon. Bye for now. If you like what you heard today, be sure to like and subscribe to Spirituality Matters wherever you listen to podcasts. To have your question featured on an episode, email us at spiritualitymatters at revcarla.com. And as always, follow at RevCarla on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest for more spirituality teachings. Bye for now.